<laughs> Sorry. Um, I guess we could start with the mountain of critiques we've been getting from all of our. <laughs> Should we? Should we bury that? I don't know. We can start with that. Let's start with uh, this is going to be a longer episode because we have two pretty long, pretty um upsetting movies. At least on my part. Yeah. No, mine was upsetting I depending mean, on which side of the conspiracy you're on. Yeah, I mean, I an abusive family, you a militia in the north. Yep. <laughs> it's just the American dream, right? Got a lot going on. Okay. Um, what are these critiques? Critiques. Well, we've been told we sound like we're recording in a bathroom, which we are. Yep. I'm sitting in the tub. You're in the back it's... of the toilet, like in the tank. <laughs> sitting you're, you're backwards. Upper decking yourself. It's a clawfoot tub. It's a nice tub. We've got the toilet seat actually has that like plush shag. Uh, like a light pink shag color to it. Yeah, it looks like a bathroom like a socialite in the 40s would have died. Yes, in. yes, oh yeah. From taking On, too like, many barbiturates. like bennies and what's old timey drug works? Maybe a Mickey Finn? <laughs> um, my partner told me that they very much dislike when we say the name of bits at the same time. And I'm going to die on that hill, so we're never going to stop doing that. (laughs) She also mentioned that uh, we should have called this Kids Say the Derndest Things. Kids Say the Derndest Things. That's, um... That that could be our sequel to this when we run out of Dern material. Yeah, and we just make little small children do this. Yes. We sit them down, we say, hey kid, give them the, like, clockwork orange open their eye thing, and make them sit and watch Siege at Ruby Ridge for three hours, 20 minutes. Like, Jackson 5 parent them. (laughs) <laughs> into doing a podcast but like not but they're not our children we won't like beat them or make them one of the bad Jacksons <laughs> I guess there was only one bad Jackson anyway oh golly so Laura Dern won an Oscar woo yeah we did it you guys we're only a little bit behind because we recorded ahead so yeah she won best supporting actress for uh, Marriage Story, which is her third big award for that, and it's Netflix's first acting Oscar. No big award. What was that? You said it's her third big award? Yeah, Would... I mean, she won an Oscar, a SAG award, and a... And an Independent Spirit Award? I don't know, maybe it's for them. I, I just don't it know. Was, I think it was a Golden Globe, right? Oh, yeah. It was a Golden, Golden Globe, Globe, and Oscar. She almost, she almost egotted, like, on one movie <laughs> in one season. She just needs to get a Tony now and an Emmy. She's <laughs> she's halfway there. That's better I just want to say, I, get. I feel vindicated. Yeah, she did it. A lot of, you know, I told friends and family about this, and they said, why, who, why? I keep getting that. <laughs> I hung up flyers said, today, I said, and you'll was see. like, oh, who's that? <laughs> But yeah, she said it was the best birthday present she ever got. Happy birthday, Laura. And we also missed that. Happy birthday. We're going to try to record on time so we can acknowledge No, they events. don't know when. No, it's fine. Uh, no, yeah. This, this, is, is, we're, this is live, actually. Hi. <laughs> you're, you're listening to it two weeks. Hit the brakes. Uh, it's really, I was taught in um, radio engineering school that you should always put things in advertisements that will alarm the car drivers, like sirens and car accident noises. No, you're taught not to do that. And then when I hear them in ads, I'm like, who didn't go to audio school? Um, anyway, uh, Laura Dern. <laughs> the people recording in a bathtub. Yeah, <laughs> it's a very nice tub. Um, she wore a lovely pink gown with some black tassels and a nice black top. Uh, she went with her mom. Diane Ladd. We're going to hear a little more about her later. Ooh, saucy. 
Um, oh, and you probably noticed that we opened with a song today. We did. Until we face legal repercussions, we're going to be using this little ditty from the Independent Spirit Awards, sung by the Gay Men's Chorus of LA, I think? Or Gay Men's Choir. Hollywood Gay Men's Choir. As a group of men who prefer men, and they're singing about a man's woman. They are. I think I saw them when I was a child. I think my family knew a member of the gay men's chorus. You know, I saw a bunch of large gay men get out of a van once and go into a deli. That could have been a men's chorus. They were a bunch of bears. And were you they bears? Tell. You did they tell. all look like similar, like similar types of bear? Similar. Or did they have their own kind of? They all had a similar vibe, and they were dressed like dads. Like they had polos and like cargo shorts and dad shoes. They might have just been dads, but they also had big bear energy. Okay. Maybe they just rent a van once a month and go get some meat. Who knows? <laughs> Head to the deli. We go to the deli. That's our thing. Oh, um, oh another little thing. Uh, we would like to thank Tyler Redacted for doing all of our artwork. Thank you, Tyler Redacted. I don't know if he wants his name out there, so his name is now Tyler Redacted. I'm sure he will get a tickle from that. So, yeah. I don't really have much else if you want to move on to our uh, big... Big, Big Dern! Hello! Suck it, next oh. partner. Oh, I'm sure she'll be upset about that. Anyway, so, Big Dern. Here we go. This was a little movie called Bastard Out of Carolina. It sounds fun. It's not. It, <laughs> it gets more unfun as you watch it. This is basically a story of death, despair, and rape. And oh. it gets worse. It gets so much worse. And like it, you when you think it's gonna get less worse, it gets more worse. Um, it takes place in the nineteen fifties. It's like a very. It's like if Back to the Future was only about the fifties. Like if there was no time traveling, if it was just the fifties, it would be this movie. But I guess that's just saying that it. It's, it's in the fifties. <laughs> um, it was made in nineteen ninety six. It's also a very rapey film. Back to the Future. Very, I mean, I guess that's what I'm... I guess I'm saying the 50s were bad. Yeah. And this movie, also something I noticed, it there was absolutely no mention of or reference to racism at all. The entire problem in the movie is abuse of women, mainly. But we'll get there. Um, yeah, so 1996, it was d- directed by Angela Angelica Houston. Or really? Tisha Adams. Wow. This is her directorial debut. She only directed four things like in her sheet, but... Still, she directed wow. this. Wow, oh, that's amazing. A little later, um, what's her face will show up. Christina Ricci is in this very is briefly. Wednesday. Alrighty, here we go. I guess. So this is a story of Southern life. Um, it's very Southern. It's like just hog frying and porch sitting. Uh, at one point, there's a baby in a crib outside. There's an old granny sitting on the porch chewing tobacco. It's just very homespun and hogtied. <laughs> I like that. Like it's if. If it were just about... It was basically like the Beverly Hillbillies, but with sad realities of, oh. like, Southern life. It was upsetting. Um, so it starts with a bunch of young kids, and they're in a car, an old car drinking beer. Sure. Driving. I remember the 50s. And, you know, like, they're very, like, um, de- like dollar store Woody Harrelson types. They're just, like, men that look <laughs> like men. Like, the, they're the meatloaf of men. They're, they're, just... they're like, ne'er-do-wells. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're a little slippery, but... Like, everybody you see in the beginning is a good person for the whole movie. The bad people don't show up until a little later. Okay. So, like, all the men in the beginning are, like, I mean, they might not be great, but, like, they are loving and caring and are not abusive. Okay. Low bar. 
Which is, yeah, a very low bar, but uh, men in the 50s apparently <laughs> were awful. So, um, how, how, do I, how do I transfer? Um, a woman flies through a windshield. They hit a truck, and the mother of the child who will be the main like point of this film, she flies right through the windshield and is fine. Okay. She just flies through. She's fine. She wakes up in the hospital, and she had given birth. We pretty much, all this just happens, like, this whole movie is just a bunch of weird, like, tall tales that are really just, like, sad southern stories. It's like a like Dolly fish. Parton song. Yeah, it's okay. like, if Big Fish and Philadelphia had a baby, <laughs> it would be this movie. Okay, and uh, Dern is narrating at this point, and she's, she is the daughter of the woman that flew out of the windshield. Her name is Ruth Ann, but they call her Bone, because her uncle, um, Eddie, I believe, no... Eugene, her uncle of name, who is not important, um, says she ain't no bigger than a knuckle bone or some and southern... they call her bone? Yeah, they call okay. her bone. That's like a perfect and fake southern nickname. I had to watch, after the point where they say her name, I had to watch 20 more minutes and then backtrack to actually find out her name was bone. Because I had to watch this on a weird like YouTube stream Yeah. that was about half an hour shorter than the movie was advertised to be, but like there's nothing missing, so I don't know if there's just different cuts or either way. It's was it sped upset. up? Did no. she sound a little higher pitched no, than usual? Yes. It was like there was a weird border of stars so that the YouTube couldn't detect. <laughs> I mean, me saying this now, YouTube's going to pull this all down. You won't be able to watch this wonderful movie, but because everyone <laughs> listens to the show. Alrighty, so uh, daughter's born, uh, homespun, blah 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 blah. It's all southern. It's, I'm just gonna, I'll stop saying it's southern, but it's very it's southern. It's very southern. Um, I feel like, well, they called the movie "Bastard" out of Carolina. And that that is, is a, let me explain that. Okay. Um, so the the father of the child is not there when the child is born. We find out that she is not married to him, but if he were there, they could fake it. So when they're filling out the paperwork, they're just trying to, like, all these people are saying things, and the person writing out the paperwork basically gets fed up and says, this child doesn't have a father, it's a bastard. So they, like, there's apparently a paper that gets made in this time in the South where it just says you're a bastard. Like a, like a birth certificate. Yeah, it's like a birth certificate, but it just says uncertified on the bottom, which Ooh. is apparently a thing that ever existed. Which I guess it sounds right, but also, it's kind of weird and judgy <laughs> to say, like, ah, your kid's not good. Okay, so they messed up the forms. Um, it seems to be an issue that will haunt the rest of this movie, and we find out that that is very true. Um, uh, so the parents, the Bones' actual dad and her mom get married then about ten minutes in. Like, they actually get married after so Bone was born. So you, you, think, don't, you don't get certified at that point? You think or that would still happen. a bastard? I think, well, he dies immediately after. Sure. The father dies, and I assume this is to say that he died too soon after the wedding for them to fix the paperwork. Um, he crashes his truck. very arbitrary. It's, this whole movie is Another a, car crash. There's so much near the end that is just like, it's basically like hopping and skipping between two plot points that should undo each other, but they don't. So there's a car crash. He crashes his truck. In the fakest rain I've ever seen in a movie, somebody was standing on the roof of the truck with a water bottle squirting, and that's what they did for rain, basically. And it was sunny out, so the guy who saw it all happen said it was a devil's rain. Which is what sure. is a shortening of an actual phrase that I learned a few months ago called the devil is beating his wife. Right. Which is to say that it is raining while sunny out, which I had never heard until I read it in a southern book or some such thing. And I was like, whoa, that's a heck of a phrase. 
but apparently they thought that was too much for this film, so they cut it down to Devil's Reign. Alrighty, so enter Glenn. Glenn is a nice guy. I said nice guy in quotes, because he's not. He starts dating the mom, um, he brings the family a whole side of beef to show that he's trustworthy and will provide. He isn't either of those things. He's very troubled. He gets into a fight at the Glenn? mill. Glenn? I feel like Glenn's such a soft name. I mean, look, like, I'm look comforted at, look by, at Glenn like, Danzig. stepdad Glenn. Uh, you're not gonna like this, Glenn. Okay. Um, so the Hall of Records burns down soon after Glenn enters the picture. It's not ever said he did it, but... Yeah, I kind of have a feeling he had something to do with it because he's generally a bad guy. Anyway, so they start celebrating because as the Hall of Records is burnt down, there's no record of Bone being a bastard. Although she still kind of is because you need to get a new paper, I guess. I don't know. They celebrate. They're drunk. Um, Granny does not like Glenn at all. Granny says Glenn's a bad guy. He can't hold down a job. She says all kinds of Southern grandma things about him that aren't positive. Um, and then he, uh, Glenn proposes to the mom. And, uh, there's a wedding. Uh, the brother on the way to the wedding is... Car accident? No, he's taking, um, Bone's mom to the wedding. They stop for a second. He's like, are you sure you want to marry him? He might not be great. Basically, every person in this movie shows some level of skepticism towards Glenn. And she just keeps going with it. Who's, um, who's the mom? The mom is a, is a lady who kind of looks like a younger Laura Dern, like blonde hair. I don't remember the actress's name, but, like, she's a... Like, she's not, like, a ditzy, like, blonde... Like, she's a, she has a job. She's a very tough, like... She's one of the good she's ones. She's a working mom. Yeah, she's yeah. a good lady. But we, we'll learn more about her. Um, so there's a new baby coming along, because Glenn and that mom have sex occasionally. And uh, there's more skepticism. Basically, at, like I said, every person in this movie at some point says he's like a, he's like a bad whiskey, a whiskey in a barrel. He can turn at any minute or what have you. <laughs> Um, and then there's a scene of Glenn waiting in the car at the hospital with the two children in the backseat. And the mom is inside, like, in labor. And they're just waiting in the car, which I think is weird. And they, they're staying there overnight, like, sleeping in the car. I don't know. It's a whole thing. And he, like, takes Bone and puts her on his lap and, like, he, like, yeah. it's very, it's very obvious that he is, like, like, rubbing one out against her, like, in his pants. It's really uncomfortable. It's a very quiet scene. It lasts for, like, a minute, and it just... It's, like, 30 minutes into the movie. It's just very upsetting, and I was like, oh, this is just gonna get worse, isn't it? Um, the baby dies. Oh! The baby's... Okay. So, yes, it does This get happens, worse. he says, get some sleep, and smokes a cigarette, and then it cuts right to the next morning. He's like, ah, oh, the baby died, but your mom was fine. Um, so, basically, the he then... At this point, they had all been living in the same house. So, like, the granny, the mom, Bone, Bone's sister, Glenn, like, the whole family. And then Glenn says, I'm moving you guys out. Basically, at this point, he just starts to get more and more abusive and, like, trying to separate the family and all this stuff. Um, he, they keep moving. Basically, the point is that they get poorer and poorer and keep moving and keep moving. Like, sometimes they'll stay someplace for, like, a week. They barely have food. They're eating, like, ketchup crackers. So they're, like, a Dust Bowl family. I mean, they were doing fine until Glenn came along, basically. And Glenn is, like, too proud. Like, when the family tries to chip in and give them money, he won't accept it. And he just keeps losing jobs. Take a handout, rapist. It's just, it gets worse. I don't know what to say. He's a grade-A creep. Um, The marriage starts to get really ugly and bitter, and they're just, like, mad at each other all the time. And she keeps saying, like, nasty things. And around this point in the movie, um, there starts to be some weird flashes of, like, sympathy for Glenn, which maybe, I don't think that's 
when I wrote this down, I don't think that's true. I think it's more like showing you reasons he's a bad guy, but like it, it plays his sympathy a little. Like his dad is really mean to him. And like his dad has like a successful son, like two successful sons and him. And like he'll talk to his dad and just be like, hey, could I have like some money or help or a job? And his dad will just be like, ah, you're a mess up. Go away, boy. Stuff like that. Which like in, in there's like a two minute scene where it almost seems like they're trying to give sympathy for him. But like it just he's just a bad guy. And just because he has a bad dad doesn't mean he's allowed to like, you know, abuse his wife and stepchildren. He also like puts himself way too into the family. He's like, I'm your daddy. And he, he like tears up a picture of the dead dad and says, that's <laughs> not your dad. I'm your dad. It's just, he's such an, un, he's a creep. He's such <laughs> a creep. Um, he starts beating bone. Like, pretty much well, yeah, duh. Yeah, like, like every day, he'll just beat her with yeah. a belt, like, to the point that he breaks her coccyx, and, um, they go to the hospital, and the doctor's like, I'm gonna have to arrest, like, I'm calling the police, but Bone won't talk, because, you know, yeah, she's an Bone. abused child, and yeah. the stepdad is just gonna abuse her more. Um, at this point, uh, Christina Ricci comes back, well, uh, enters the film, I guess. She's the cool older cousin whose mom is dying, the mom is Bone's aunt. Okay. So Bone is, like, spending some time with the aunt, like, at their house because of the whole abuse thing. And, like, he, um, the mom was like, you live with your aunt for a while while Glenn simmers down, basically. Um, the aunt dies. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. She just dies of cancer. But, you know, like, Bone is singing to her. Bone has this whole thing where she wants to be a gospel singer. And it's just, it's sweet that she has dreams and stuff. Um, Bone gets a little tipsy at the funeral. Because they give her, like, a sip of moonshine. They're like, here, drink for your And she's, aunt. what, like, 12 or Maybe something? Maybe, okay. 11. And he's, so her uncle, her, like, cool, good guy uncle, who's a very good guy, just, like, gives her moonshine. He's like, hey, here, take a little sip for your aunt. Don't tell your mama. And she does, and then she has a little sip of beer. And, like, so she's, like, drunk, and she's, like, little and hadn't eaten anything and drank moonshine. And she falls asleep on the toilet, which is a classic me move. <laughs> I am very big. When I get to a certain level of drunk, I just fall asleep on toilets. True. And her aunt comes in to help her and sees that she has bruises again. And she starts freaking out. Bone is like, don't tell nobody. The aunt tells, like, the men of the family. And they, um, how do I put this? How did I write this down? Um, they, uh, mix his biscuits. They absolutely destroy him. They kick and beat Glenn, which is good. I'm very happy with this. I was cheering a little in my bed just watching this movie. Um, Bone goes to live with the aunt some more, a different aunt. And the mom is still with Glenn at this point. So Glenn has just beaten her child and, like, destroyed her life, and the mom is just still there. Um, Glenn shows up at the aunt's house, just absolute creep. He's being so, like, like, SVU-level creep, just, like, talking to her, and, like, can you go make me some lemonade, and, like, talking about how big of a girl she's getting and she'll be dating any day now. Uh, and then he starts, Jesus, he starts to blame Bone for all of his trouble and is like, like, you're the reason we can't be a happy family. You need to... You need to tell your mama that you're okay with me. And then he threatens to break her neck. And then he just starts beating her up. And then he starts raping her. And this is like within the last 10 minutes of the movie. It gets super brutal and not okay. And it was upsetting. And then the mom comes in and like breaks a bottle over his head and grabs her and they get out of there. Uh, Bone won't talk to the cops because, you know, he's abusive. He's just going to hurt her again, etc. Um, and then it, it, this is basically the end of the movie. Um, she's living with her aunt pretty much full time. Her mama comes by with a, a new form, like a new form that says she is certified now, presumably because she's married to Glenn right now. So she has. So a that's her father. 
I think, like, I think that's the deal. And she basically, she asks the daughter for forgiveness and leaves. And we don't know where she's going and she doesn't say. And then the daughter, um, what's her face? Laura Dern's narration, um, she basically says, like, I am doomed to repeat this cycle of abuse. I, my mom is a bastard, Glenn is a bastard, and I am a bastard. It's basically just, it ends really sad. And she's just really convinced that she's never going to break this cycle that she's been brought into because Aww. of her family and all the death and stuff. And, uh, oh, and Dern was just a narrator the whole time. Yeah, were you like, oh, I wonder if we're going to get... Nah, I, like, Dern. I kept looking. Even on the IMDb thing, I was, like, scrolling down and scrolling down, and then I realized, oh, she's a narrator. Uh, so, yeah, um, it's a bummer of a movie. Yeah, I, I will just, say in yeah. earnestness that... Even speaking and telling your story of your life of abuse or trauma is already a step towards breaking that cycle. Yeah. So I'm proud of you, Bone. I, mean, I hope she... I don't know. I, like, I'll, once we get to the end and I'll talk about what I think I learned, but it was upsetting. Was it, was it good? It was a good movie. Like, I'm, I really enjoy, like, the 1950s aesthetic. I really like movies that have southern settings. The music was very good. There was, like, a Johnny Cash song. All the sets were pretty to period. I like a good period piece. I saw um, To Kill a Mockingbird last year. It's on Broadway right mm-hmm. now. Just like It gave me that same kind of vibe of like a nice southern town. Obviously, there were social issues within this thing, but, you know, it was a good movie. I was watching it. Okay. I, yeah. All right. And I'll, I'll talk about some serious lessons later, because okay. we, need, we need to brighten ourselves up. Let's do it with a little, uh... Alrighty, little three, two, one... Between, between two, two turns! turns. Uh, uh, I watched... It never gets old. I watched um, a movie from several years ago now, maybe nine years, um, that I loved, I had never seen before, and that it is Dern adjacent in a couple ways, and that is Francis Ha. Ah. Which, of course, was directed by Noah Baumbach, who did Marriage Story, and starring Greta Gerwig, uh, Noah Baumbach's girlfriend, I believe, who directed Little Women, both of which were Dern vehicles. This is a Dern um, Oh, we talked about it, Francis. I told you to watch it. We did. This is why we shouldn't talk about yeah, we're not a, um, yeah, we can't socialize. Um, I have not seen it still, but you do make it sound like quite the movie that's been suggested I... to me before, so... I would recommend um, for any anybody in their late 20s to early 30s who feels a little wayward, who's perhaps bounced around, who's felt uh, like they didn't quite have it all together and w- weren't sure how, if your your friends seem more successful than you, go see Francis Ha. It'll, it'll make you feel good. Uh, it's that kind of character and one I can relate to in ways I wasn't anticipating uh, because Greta Gerwig is sort of this like lovable but kind of doesn't have all her shit together um character uh but she's more it kind of honors her and like offers positivity towards her experience that she likely doesn't have for herself yet and it's kind of about that a coming of age 10 years after becoming a a quote-unquote adult basically is sort of uh what the movie is and uh i loved it can't recommend it enough. Very funny. A, a simple, uh, like an easy, focused film. Uh, it's got Adam Driver. A young Adam Driver. He's great. Adam Driver. Yeah. Fellas going places. <laughs> um, so, I loved it. It was fun. It was not like a bastard out of Carolina <laughs> nightmare. 
Yeah, you know, a little and positive. It, it put a smile on my face. Well, that's good. Yeah. Huh. Let's see. What do you got? Um, well, I spent this past weekend uh, drinking in a basement because I went to a party uh, for the Daytona 500, which was rained which out. Is, yeah, it didn't So happen. it just turned into several hours of drinking in a basement and eating Spam-related foods because they had a cooking contest and one of the ingredients was Spam. So I had a very, um, a very folksy weekend. Sure. Yeah, I went, to, I went out with a friend for dinner the night before, and we went to a small bar in Bangor, Pennsylvania, and it was karaoke night, and this man with a ponytail and an overcoat, who I can only describe as a football coach who owned a gun store, he went up and did a Beatles song, Strawberry Fields. It was a whole... I, I like to think that where I'm from is not that, like, folksy and in the woods, but then I go there and things like that happen, and I'm like, this is a, this is a Prairie Home Companion town sometimes. <laughs> but anyway, that happened... You know. So it was like a series. So that's where you were for Daytona yeah, 500. Yeah, that's where I was when we should have been doing this. Out in the sticks. Out in the sticks on a frog, Just a, frog something road. A slice of Americana. It's, it's nice. I like going back. It keeps me humble. It reminds me of why I'm crazy because I come from a crazy place. No, it sounds like a salt of the earth kind no, of. No, it is nice. Not just... Nick's wearing overalls. I am. He looks. He just looks like a good, good hometown boy. I try. Timeless, really. And uh, I guess the other big thing I saw Casablanca in a theater. Okay. And it was just real nice. It's funnier than I remember it being. It's a uh, good. It holds your attention. All the stars are stars. Like, like I could imagine being in the forties and watching that movie and just being so in awe of like the humor and the size and all the grand sets and everything. Like, it's one of those movies that makes you remember why movies are so magical. I watched, Aww. like, half of Cinema Paradiso last week as well, so it gave me that kind of, like, movies are magic and they shape mm-hmm. everything, and, like, culture is based in movies and getting together to watch them. Uh, so I, it's just, like, I'm not really a movie it. guy. Oh, you don't like movies? No. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> hey, what are you going to talk not sure about what next in the movie? Oh, shit, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, oh, I've got a movie did, to did talk you, about. Did you beef it? Did you do what I did last week? No, no, it? I watched three hours and 20 minutes. Ooh. Well, um, we might as well. But before we, oh, yeah. let's, not, let's not put the cart before the horse here. Oh. Uh, because right now we've got Little Dern. Uh, that's right, it's the Little Dern, which oh. in this case was just a substantially bigger Dern than yeah, the Big Dern. it's a pretty fraught system. But though. that happens... Um, you know, I knew two brothers growing up, the Natov brothers, and, like, the younger one we called Little Natov, mm-hmm. and he was even taller than Big Natov. They were both very big. Oh, the Natovs. And even a little Dern, right, she is, uh, I don't know if imposing is the right word, but just fucking tall. How she's, tall? Do we know? She's, she's, like, six feet tall. At least eight feet tall. She's at least nine in, or in ten heels? feet tall. Forget it. She could just... <laughs> could just pick you up like a basketball and dunk you. <laughs> Imagine her cradling you like a baby. I do just... every night. <laughs> um, Max, so even you're, you're even not a large man, Max. That could be possible. <laughs> she could pick you up and just. That's our goal. Look, I know maybe some of you're on the fence. Will you tune in next week? Will you? Won't you? Do it so we can make that happen. Exactly. We're gonna start a GoFundMe. We want to get this big. Get a little signal boost. Share it with your networks. Get Laura Dern to cradle me. Um, <laughs> cradle because Max 2020. Even, even the little Dern is a big Dern. And that was very much the case for Siege 
at Ruby Ridge. Oh, yeah. Which was a 1996 made-for-TV film. Ooh. A two-parter. Um, based on the events at Ruby Ridge from 1992. I am on the edge of my seat quite literally. Okay, so we've got, speaking of Americana and Salt of the Earth, this, oh, this movie, um, it's about the Weaver family. Now, do you know the story of Ruby Ridge? I know some Weavers. Uh, I went to school with one. Hannah? You talking about Hannah Weaver? She's a nice lady. Is she like a white supremacist? No, separatist no. Sort of? Oh, okay. I just realized that that would affiliate her. Yeah. No, she was a nice lady. These people seem nice They seem quite lovely. We have Randy Weaver as the dad. Is Randy Weaver played by a Mr. Randy, Randy Quaid? Randy yeah. That's crazy. And these are the actual names of the people? D- double Randy duty. Yeah, Randy Weaver. So Randy Weaver was the real man, and he's played by Randy Quaid, yes. the, as far as we know, fictional man who is just... We'll get into the parallels. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I don't want to cut into your fists. He's a wild man. We are going to get into the very real strange parallels between... He, he didn't know he was in a movie. Randy Quaid and Randy Weaver. Um... And Randy Weaver has a wife named Vicky Weaver. Weaver. And so it opens with like a 70s wedding. And you just see Vicky Weaver. You you take one look, Nick, and you just go, that woman loves the Lord. Like she, you just, it's, I don't know how to describe a Bible thumper, like just at a glance. I feel like Laura Dern has the frame that she can very easily take on the Jesus-y woman look. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so the like sort the of... hair and like tall... Carrie's mom. But now, here, yes. here's something you probably weren't oh. expecting. Vicki Weaver? Dark hair. What? Dark hair Dern. What? Yeah. That's crazy. I know. I don't... Like, it might be our only one. We, we caught a rare one here. Sure. She'll never change her hair again. Dark hair Dern. Dark um, so they, they're real Jesus-y. Real um, her, we, we get to know her family a little bit. Her parents, her mom, mm-hmm. is played by her mom, oh my Diane God. Ladd, which is just adorable. This movie is I've, a treasure trove. It is. This one, it, it really warms you up. It's warm and fuzzy. Aww. Um, so all we get early on is just sort of, okay, they seem Jesus-y. But, like, wholesome in, like, an all-American kind of way. Um, and they have the neighbors over for for dinner. They move into a new place. The neighbors come over. The neighbors are a little, like, kind of like, oh, these people. A little out there with their Jesus. Randy um, is, there's a little girl, the neighbor's daughter, and Randy's no. kind of playing with her, and he's doing a little, no, it's not like your movie. I'm sorry. There is just, zero child abuse. I just don't trust Randy Quaid. Yeah. Okay, so he's, uh, he, he says to her, like, eeny, meeny, miny, moe, catch a tiger by the toe. Uh-huh. But he doesn't say tiger. Oh, no. He says a racial slur. Oh, no. And I'll leave it as an exercise to the listener what that slur might be. But I, you hear it. I could help. Don't no, help. No, I mean, so there's a famous tiger from the Winnie the Pooh franchise. That's enough. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. Um, Fill in the place. It... So he says, and I was like, wait, did he just, he just, yeah, and I had to like, I'm I was, assuming was like, hard R. Oh yeah, oh. yeah. hard R, there, there are no soft R's in this oh, movie, yikes. not, this oh. is a hard R, Randy Quaid. So we get to learn a little bit about their ideology, 
Um, <laughs> they uh, seem to have are convinced that the apocalypse will be happening soon. Perfect. They're devotees of the right-wing conservative apocalyptic Bible-thumping author Hal Lindsey, ah. who if I encourage everyone to Google uh, <laughs> just to see his face, like he'll you'll be like, oh. Like right wing conservative, like oh, that apocalyptic grifter. Yeah, sure. Like he looks. <laughs> I know you said grifter, but my mind went to drifter, and I just imagined like a man in a shabby suit, like hopping off a train car and just telling. We get we do get a couple of those, <gasps> yes, but that's man. my favorite kind of character in the movie. <laughs> um, I mean, that's basically a bum that rolls off a train and just starts preaching. It's basically Brandy Quay. Good. <laughs> it's basically all the <laughs> characters in this movie. Um, Wait, are you telling me Randy Quaid like a, um, like Nutty Professor's it, and he's just like every character? <laughs> he's also Laura Dern. <laughs> so, the apocalypse is coming. The government, ooh, Nick, they do not like the government. Um, it is all part of the 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 Zog government is what they refer to it as the Zog. Zionist. Uh. Order of government. I don't know. It's the the Jewish cabal they ah, think controls everyone. Yes. They're monstrously uh, prejudiced towards Jews. They um, think that all, all government conspiracies, they do not like President Jimmy Carter, who was president at the time, at this point in the movie. Um, they think the apocalypse is coming. And what we learn is really that these convictions are appear to be even more strongly held by Vicki Weaver... By Dern, oh, she is no. she is a fiery woman. She's uh, a battle axe. She has, <laughs> she says this great line of so her mom is kind of skeptical. I'm like, honey, you know these these ideas. Are you sure? Like, they're um, Randy and Vicky are mad. They they need to go to a different church because their their pastor is just too normal. And Lori Dern has this wonderful quote. Like, she's got this indignation throughout. They both do this, like, like, don't you see how it is kind of indignation where they know what's real and the apocalypse is coming. She says, read your Bible, Mom. It's all in there. Wars, earthquakes, a one-world economy. <laughs> and the one-world economy happens to be basically a dog whistle for, like, evil Jews. Yeah. Um, then the, there's a little uh, Halloween celebration happening at the church. Oh, no. Dern no likey. Oh, Dern no, no likey. To, and to quote, uh, necromancy is an abomination of the Lord. I bet she's a blast at parties. Oh, yeah. She is She is a woman with convictions. So don't take this woman to a comedy show or a Halloween event. No, no. Well... He might not be able to, but we'll get there. Oh no! Um, She she does a she leads a Bible study, and it's the angriest Bible study ever. (laughs) But she's kind of doing this thing where they're reading like a line about like Jerusalem or the desert. She's like, uh, uh, the West uh, manifest destiny, where she's just convinced that all of this biblical stuff. She's just this ridiculous fundamentalist is like applied to modern America and that's truly what God is about which is fucking stupid like if you believe that uh, uh, 
It's dumb. And maybe these ideas will have consequences. Let's see. I I bet they will. So, fast forward forward a wee bit. Um, Oh, they have two kids. They have a daughter and a son. Great. And now their daughter is played by 14-year-old Kirsten Dunst. Yeah, Sarah Weaver. Yeah, this this is like right before. It was right after Interview with a Vampire. This is shortly before Small Soldiers. Like Kid Dunst, killer. But I I haven't seen Small Soldiers in a while. I don't think you'll see her yelling "White Power" over and over again in any other film from her childhood. But if you want to see a fourteen-year-old Kirsten Dunst do that. Siege at Ruby hey, Ridge. Whatever you gotta do to get that you. sad card, baby. <laughs> well, <laughs> well <laughs> in the postscript, I'll talk about some accolades. Um, so they decide, as you know, stupid fundamentalists do, that they're gonna like go off. And, you know, the world is corrupt, and they need to like do their own thing in the woods. So they go to Idaho. They go to Bonner's Ferry, Idaho, and like not just. Idaho, but like way north, that super narrow part, five miles or 30 miles or something like that from the Canadian border. So they're way up there. Two things. One sure. of them involves Mr. Quaid, and I'm not going to talk about it because I'm sure you will. The other thing is, <laughs> not to discourage Idaho, was it? Yes. Um, but I think they moved to about the furthest place in the continental United States from a Jewish family. <laughs> and I feel like that was probably That purpose. might have had something to do with it. Yeah, I would say at least 30 miles from no, the nearest Jewish person. That, that feels accurate. <laughs> like, I'm not happy about it. I'm just saying, like, they did that for a reason. <laughs> um, so we get these... Uh, uh, we fast forward to... Now it's 1989... And we get, like, the kids are wearing swastikas and shouting white power. Good lord. Um, The the son shaved his head, total skinhead look. And they're, like, cute kids, you know? They're, like, (laughs) it's, like, if it weren't for any of this, like, complete awful hate, they would be, like, this nice church-going family. Like if you you strip away the horrible stuff, Hitler just looks like a dad. (laughs) But he had all the bad stuff back in. He's Hitler. Yeah, so they um they had some bad stuff. Oh, no. Um, B- badder the, than the Nazi so stuff? So they're building... No, not badder than the Nazi stuff. Um, Worstest? They're building uh, a menstrual shed, which oh, speaks to their sort good. of patriarchal values. Um, this is uh, a place where the women of the home can basically hide out separate from everybody else while they menstruate, which... I mean, but practically, you probably also use it for storage, like... Yeah, and it's, like, it's nice to get... menstruation, you gotta keep, like, the patio furniture it's in nice there, to get away, it's true. Yeah. Yeah, so it's well, like yeah. a dual-purpose sexist shit. Yeah. Um, and then, so then they go to... Oh, so a little taste of their ideology. Like, their parents are like, well, you know, what's going on here? You got guns and stuff? They have guns. I left that part out, but let's be I, real. It I was think implied. we all were filling that blanket. And they say, we got to protect ourselves out here. They say, from what? The potatoes? And they say, everybody. So they're just like in and out. They're, everyone's out to get us, kind of. This is a great place to be. And then they go as all good American families do, to uh, an, an Aryan Nation Congress meeting, Uh-oh. which seems like a fun cookout. There's, like, 
you know, they're shooting guns, they're, they're grilling, they're having a good time, they're smoking cigars, they're talking about the Zog government. I mean, not that I've attended a clan cookout, but I've heard they have decent food. They do, yeah. <laughs> I mean, to, to steal a bit from a comedian, I don't know personally, I was about to say, my personal friend, because I made that joke earlier, he had a bit that um, all the clan chefs must be the best chefs because they have to be able to cook all the foods of the cultures that they're not allowed to be friends with. <laughs> so every clan chef just has to be like the best cook. It's true. They're I mean, this people, seemed but... this seemed like somewhat enjoyable, and then yeah. you know, if you just leave like the Zog government stuff out, Which you totally and then could. <laughs> and then like the sun sets, and now there's just a legit burning cross oh, clan God. rally. <sighs> I don't know how fun that you know like, yeah. it's you know they look nice they're on I fire it's like fi- fireworks, um, and at this point Randy meets with uh, some skinhead some Aryan Nation guy, <laughs> in who, the credits skinhead number four yeah well in the credits perhaps FBI informant oh. number four what. Twist. I, I don't know why I immediately imagined Gary Oldman with a shaved head, but he still has the facial hair. <laughs> yeah, you got and it. He's like he's totally a cop, but like Randy <laughs> Quaid doesn't get it. Randy Quaid, well, he's a little, you know, they're on their they're on their toes because these this is a paranoid bunch of people. Oh, I can tell. Um, I, let's let's pause a moment, Nick. Yes. So we've learned a little bit about the Weavers. Who do you think's the bad guy in this story? Well, I'm gonna say the Weavers think that it's either the Jews, the government, or the combination of both. And I'm gonna say in, like, as a standard person watching this, you'd say the Weavers are the bad guy. And I think Dern is probably the worst one. Yeah, so this movie is fucking insane because what... Oh, this is all a true story, by the way. We should probably cover this. This is real. And if they're the bad guys, they're not the only bad guys. Uh, And this movie offers uh, what many people in this country offer towards the Weavers, which is a good deal of sympathy for what occurs. Oh, no. This is fucked. So, the FBI wants to, you know, they know some shady shit's going down. Um, they, this informant gets Randy to sell him some sh- sawed-off shotguns. Uh, if you read anything about this, which, by the way, if you read anything about this, a white supremacist wrote it. The only thing, if you read a review of this movie, you're reading white supremacists wrote it because they are obsessed with the siege at Ruby Ridge and they're the only ones who have anything to say about it 30 years later. Um, just know that. Everything I read about this, I quickly realized it was like, oh, this was written by a neo-Nazi. Great. Um, so what they allege is that um, Randy Weaver was entrapped by this informant who basically said, oh yeah, cut down the guns to right here. Saw them off right below the legal limit. Like he pointed, like basically said, commit this crime. And then he committed, committed the crime. Oh my God. Um, so they, uh, Randy gets busted for this, uh, for this gun running of his. 
they he they don't want he doesn't want to go to jail, but the the sneaky Jew government they do this thing. It's somewhat. I'll, I'll isolate that later. <laughs> um, <laughs> they do this thing where they pretend to be stranded motorists down the hill from their uh, their home in the middle of nowhere, and then they you know the weavers get out to help because they're good Christian folk, and um, they arrest them. Randy gets taken in. He gets charged, and he knew this was coming. Oh, they they tried they tried to get him to turn, they tried to like hey just uh, you know get it, flip and he's like a man of his convictions and his convictions are the evil Jew government is the worst thing on the planet and I will do anything to protect myself from them so no he's not going to flip and become an informant instead he uses this as an opportunity he busts out his Rolodex he gets on that 1992 LinkedIn. Gets all his clans people, all the like, the separationists, the neo Nazis, the skinheads, the clan, the gang, the whole fucking gang, every dumb branch of awful right wing garbage from the time he's got like a network of, and he rallies them like, hey, government's trying to, you know, it's it's like the end of the Blues Brothers. The Nazis <laughs> are there, the Hill folk, the cops, everybody's That's there. Exactly right. Um, and so when he gets arrested, now we have what is the government's first major fuck up. And they tell him, they're like, look, we'll bond you out. You can, but you, you got to pay this bond. And if you, uh, don't, well, Randy, we, then we have the right to come up there and take your land, take your guns. That apparently wasn't true for one. I mean, for two, yeah. Don't say that to this guy. Nah, that seems <laughs> like it would set him if off. If you want to provoke such a person, you you say, we're going to take your gun and your lens. Think about like the, you know, what you hear from the right wing now. It's the biggest fear. The government coming to take our guns. The government literally told Randy they were going to take his guns. And the only yeah. thing that they could have done more to trigger him was like take off their hat and there was a yarmulke. Yeah. And oh yeah. Versus just like it was us all along. Well, speaking of Jews, oh, no. we're, we're getting to my favorite line. Is there a Jewish person that he's gonna yeah, well, so, handle verbally? So now it's a year later, um, and they've they've been holding out for a year, and the government is afraid to go up there and afraid to arrest him, uh, but he's in violation of missing his court date. And of, uh, you know, the gun stuff. Yeah. And a, so now it's like a story. This is like a bit of a sensation. And Geraldo Rivera had a wonderful show at the time. Um, and he, his, he uh, commissioned a helicopter to like fly and film them. The Geraldo show got a helicopter to film them. And I don't know if this, that part's true. Yeah. Like, Geraldo did have a helicopter fly over the the Ruby Ridge compound. And in the film, um, Laura Dern, Vicki Weaver, sees it and she yells. And she says, tell Geraldo to get out of here, you filthy Jew Geraldo! And, <laughs> and I just gotta say, Girls Got Range... She can yell. Girls a lot got things. range. It. She. Um, I believed it. I thought she was, you know, uh, an evil, batshit separationist for a minute there. That might be the meanest thing anyone has ever yelled to Geraldo Rivera and his giant mustache. 
Aroldis sucks, by the way. No part of this should yeah, be no, seen as a he, defense of he opened, he opened that vault, there was nothing in there. A well, newspaper, that's it. Um, I will use this opportunity because I'm somewhat making light of, you know, these characters who mm-hmm. are portrayed at least with some sympathy. Uh, before we get into the climax of this film, I'm gonna here's a quote from a review from Variety from when this movie came out mm-hmm. that I just really just <laughs> the, the story is so well told that it's a jolt to realize that everyone's a loser. <laughs> and I think it's important to just Ooh. keep keep that in your back pocket as we dive into the home stretch. That's a harsh bird. So I forgot um, how two part made for TV two parters worked. I you get so at this point we get the two be continued. Mm-hmm. And oh that was such a nice feeling. Like I felt like a kid. Yeah, oh, I, I wanted to like, and I, I waited. I was like, okay. And I watched it like a day later. Nice. I picked it back up where I left off. Um, but it was nice to have that. And the other thing that was um, interesting about it being a made-for-TV movie starring Laura Dern and Randy Quaid and Kirsten Dunst is that you've got like the varsity players and then everybody else is fucking JV team. (laughs) Every like skinhead number three and like random fed like ATF guy and they cannot act for shit. Kirsten Dunst would just spit all the extras. Oh yeah, she's just like, she's just like Nazi saluting all over them. These fucking community theater break shows. It down. She was probably making one grand for every Nazi salute. <laughs> there were like thirty in a row. That's a lot. It was it was consistent. I that, should go back that, and that count. might be too many for a nineteen ninety six television they, series. And they were doing it after she was. So I'll give context to her repeated use of white power. Mm-hmm. Um, was the neighbors accuse the weavers of stealing from them, and they're in the middle of fucking nowhere. Yeah. No one else would have done it. They 100% did. And so the weavers then do everything they can to intimidate the neighbors, including have the young children march around with swastika armbands and Nazi salute and shout white power on their lawn. So, so are these neighbors people of color? Or... No. Okay, which... I didn't think they were going to be, but that just seems like a weird intimidation. Interestingly tactic. enough, yeah, the, these same neighbors will, um, okay, so okay, go to part two. Let's, go to uh, let's part two. Push on through. So now, um, the the feds have the feds are discussing how to deal with this. They're like, we need to do something. This is when the actual siege begins. When they're basically going to surround them. With guns, and they get approval. So there's a few. There's the the U.S. Marshals, the FBI, and the ATF are all sort of recognized, are all federal parties involved here. Um, the The FBI gets permission from their people in D.C. to have revised rules of engagement. Well, that sounds like it's going to end poorly. And this is what's seen as the biggest fuck-up by the government here, they basically change the rules of how they are allowed to operate to what could be seen as, uh, definitely interpreted as, shoot on sight. Um, yeah, this isn't going to end well. So we have our four weavers, and they've got this one guy, Kevin, who's just like some young sort of wayward guy who's, you know, also a Nazi, whatever. 
Yeah, um, he's just there. And dumb Kevin. And uh, they, the feds show up. The siege has begun, and they and they're like decked out in camo and like ghillie suits, like sneaking around on this property. You know, it's all trees and stuff. And yeah. it looks lovely. It's northern yeah. Idaho. It seems very nice. It's charming. It, it does. It seems you, very. You quaint. can now rent out Ruby Ridge as a Airbnb. Really get away from it all. Um, so the feds show up and they're, a, the dog is startled, Striker, which oh, I don't Stryker. know what, I assume that's like a oh, howling apocalyptic something. character. Um, Striker the dog sort of like sniffs at some people, they're like, what is it, boy? And Striker runs towards the feds, the feds kind of retreat, they shoot the dog, they kill Striker, um, and then... They, you know, and oh, and the kids are all armed. The kids have been armed this whole fucking movie, like since they were babies. <sighs> and uh, the son gets killed by the FBI members. And how old are the kids at this point? Like teenage. Okay. Uh, the daughter I know is sixteen. I watched an interview with her. Um, the son was either was around maybe fourteen. Nice. Um, I I think he was probably younger. Um, so he, he gets shot and killed and an FBI agent gets shot and killed by Kevin, um, as it's portrayed and best I can find, but again, be mindful that everything written about this is written by white supremacists. It seems like the feds fucked up and shot first per their revised, uh, rules of engagement and they 100% killed this kid. Um, and... Then that that comes out that that news comes out, and the public story is that oh they're armed and dangerous they shot first they're super violent. Meanwhile, the feds kind of leading up to this, you get a little more fed like they're planning on this guy, mm-hmm. and they seem to be convinced that he's like a violent. Randy was a green beret once upon a time. They think it's going to be booby trapped. They think that Vicky Weaver is going to kill her kids, like, if she needs to, in this, like, apocalyptic standoff, if it comes to that. Neither of those seem necessarily plausible, despite, you know, these people really being nutters, um, at least as they're portrayed here. And then, day two of the siege, now um, Randy gets shot by a sniper, gets shot in the arm, um, and then he runs inside, and as he runs inside, the sniper shoots into the home, like behind the door, um, and what they don't know, what the FBI finds out later, is that when he did that and he shot, he killed Laura Dern. Yeah, so Laura Dern in this movie, zero kills. Nice. No death. One death. I forgot to write down the count, but we yeah. are, we're there. Still at three. Still at three. So Dern, um, is, she dies, yeah. right? And now you'd see, like, oh, these people, despite being presented as these really fucked up people, um, perhaps didn't, uh, um, deserve this situation. And, like, you know the government has to fuck up when this is widely recognized to this day as 100% a government fuck-up. Yeah, I feel like every time there's a siege that involves the government, the government makes several mistakes. Yeah. 
And this, they made a few. This, yeah, the, if you recall a couple years ago, the, the Bundy Ranch was these same sort of like right-wing nutters, anti-government folk mm-hmm. out in Oregon. And there was like this standoff about the land. Yeah. And the government was very hands-off. Like, this is why. This and Waco. This was 92. Waco was 93. We're going to get a little more into the story around that mm-hmm. um, once we wrap up the film here. Uh, the government very hands-off because they do not want another Ruby Ridge. We're going to learn what the consequences of that was. Um, so, Siege. Then it's those day one and day two are the son dies and the mom dies. And those are end up being the only casualties, but it lasts 11 days. Ultimately, the hero is a man by the name of Bo Greets, whose last oh, name is spelled trust my life G-R-I-T-Z. Uh, which it's a shame it's not pronounced Grits. But Bo Greets may be the inspiration for the character Rambo. He was a legendary Green Beret um, and was later uh, a prominent member of the Populist Party, or actually shortly before this was a, ran for president on the Populist ticket. Four years before that, in 88, ran for vice president of the Populist Party ticket with David Duke, head of the KKK huh. as the, the head of the ticket. So that's that's who our friend Bo Greets is. He seems like a complicated man. Yeah. Oh yeah, he has he had a radio show called America Calls. I listened to uh, literal three seconds before the recording of this. And uh, he was said, uh, the evil IRS was the only, ah. I skipped to a random part, and he said the evil IRS. Um, his presidential slogan in 92 was God, Guns, and Greets, which is cute. Ooh, I want a sticker of that. Yep. Probably shouldn't. For giggles, not for reals. Yeah. But he sort of, he's the one who like convinces Randy to come on out and surrender. So, Bo Greets, you racist piece of shit, you are the hero, uh, and mm. you helped end the siege. There were later, like, other lesser-known sieges by, like, the Montana Freemen, who I can only assume are exactly the same as these people, um, where Bo Greets, like, tried to use his siege star power to, like, save the day there and didn't. Ooh. I don't know how he didn't, but I read that on Bo Greets's Rational Wiki page, ah. which is a site, if you're ever on, it looks like Wikipedia, written by Nazis. Mm. Again, just be mindful. If, that if, you, if you look up this man, you're looking at Nazi websites. Period. Um, then it's like a court case. Which and, sucks, right? Yeah. And that's like an unfortunate way the story's told. It's like set up, set up's really interesting. Who the fuck are these crazy people? They move out to Idaho. Uh, then the siege is like a big chunk of it. And then it's the court case yeah. after the siege. Like, you know, whatever. Um... But the results of that court case, the Weavers, they got three and a half million dollars from the government. Huh. And, a, and that was, they didn't go to trial, um, but one member of the government has been quoted as saying that if they did go to trial, they probably would have gotten 200 million because the government fucked up. And largely that fuck up was because these were white Christians. These were white, right-wing, racist, piece of shit Christians. If you do wrong by them in this country, you might have to pay the price, right? If this were some crazy black separationist group, if this were the MOVE organization in Philly... You just uh, bomb us. Yeah, I I don't think they got three and a half million dollars. Um, 
I guess this the real lesson of this film is keep your awful crazy beliefs and you'll get paid millions of dollars for it one day. That's true. Yeah. Stick to stick to your guns. Mur- yeah, they Where's murdered Kevin? What happened a Kevin fed. Kevin got off totally free. Wow. Randy got Randy did get charged with failure to appear. Well, good. He should get um, some charge <laughs> for all this. Yeah, so that's what he got. Um, a slap on the wrist. Okay, so now some real, um, real life Ruby Ridge stuff. Uh, the sniper um, was this was such a fuck up. The sniper was indicted for manslaughter in 1997. But the charges were dropped. Okay. Um, his name was Lon Lon Horiuchi was the sniper. Lon Chaney. Lon Chaney <laughs> shot Laura Dern. Wow. Um, that same sniper was also at Waco. Oh. Interesting. That same sniper. So, for those of you who recall the Oklahoma City bombing, when we talk about what what was the the fallout from this, mm-hmm. Timothy McVeigh. Um, who was the Oklahoma City bomber and killed 400 people, killed dozens of young children. Um, super fucked up. If you don't know about it, it is, it is a massive, worst terror attack in America until 9-11. Um, was inspired 100% by Ruby Ridge and Waco, and Timothy McVeigh was this type of ideology, this anti-government, uh, the ATF is going to take our guns kind of person. And he would go to these, like, these gun shows and stuff, and these right-wing, these Aryan Nation Congress-type barbecues. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he would give out business cards with Lon, with the sniper's home address, because he wanted someone to kill him. Uh-huh. And like, he was actually plotting to, to assassinate him, but decided to uh, murder a bunch of, you know, low-level government bureaucrats and young children at a daycare instead, because fuck you, Timothy McVeigh. Seems like the end point for most of these people is negative. Yeah, it didn't, didn't yeah, work see, out so well. Like most of them don't like build a library. <laughs> no, it usually ends... Uh, a bombing or a siege. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of what they wanted. Like this, It feels like with the Weavers, right? Like, this is the ending, right? This is almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, I mean, right? it's like, it's the best way to espouse your beliefs is make some giant scene. Exactly. Which, I mean, and we all know their beliefs now. I don't think it helps spread them at all, but like... Everyone knows their names. Mm-hmm. That's true. Um, so the um, so one reason the FBI was so um, on edge and sort of heightened and revised rules of engagement, they there was a mistaken belief that bad intel that the Weavers shot at Geraldo's helicopter, uh, which did not. Okay. So maybe it was just the booming sound of Vicky Weaver's convicted we, we could slurs. Have lost a national treasure. I don't think he was in the helicopter. Um, so, when this originally aired, it was a two-parter in 1996. 14-year-old Kirsten Dunst won um, the Young Star Award for Ooh. Best Young Actress in a miniseries, which was the second annual Young Star Awards. She won the first annual one, too, for Interview with a Vampire. Nice. But... Young Star were only around for a few more years. I was gonna say, it reminds me of the, uh, the which might be because they were... have an award thing. <laughs> was that the Satellite Award? Because Dern was nominated for Best Actress Satellite Award. No, I think it was like the Blockbuster Entertainment Awards or something, and the things looked like little discs. I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure. into it for a week. <laughs> 
Um, some reviews, I started reading reviews of this oh, film, no. and they start with things like, I am also a separatist oh, by no. someone named Free Citizen. Uh, again, anything you read about this, written by Nazis. Um, except the Variety review, that's probably written by Jews. Yeah. Um, so, uh, oh, one more fun little um, fallout fact. Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber, mm -hmm. his brother found out about him through his crazy letters. He was like, I know this crazy fuck. Yeah. Uh, that's my brother. And before he went public with any of that or went to the FBI, he was afraid of a siege, so he hired a private investigator. This was at a time, uh, some of our young listeners might not recall, but this, like, anti-government, like, government fucking up, Janet Reno at Waco, Ruby Ridge in Waco, it was huge. It was big, big news. Um, and so that was a fun tidbit. I want to wrap up this segment with uh, the parallels between... Oh, here we go. Randy Weaver and Randy Quaid. Um, for those who don't know, so Randy Quaid, who you may know as Cousin Eddie in the Vacation movies, oh, as that guy from Independence Day, who's nominated for an Oscar in the 70s. Excuse I, me? Yeah, in like a Hal Ashby film. I don't know, we'll have to... That's For, for another madness. podcast. Um, Randy Quaid, like 10 years ago now, I remember it being, being an interesting story that he had... Um, he and his wife were like on the lam. They they had like over ten thousand dollars in debt at some hotel that they trashed and fled. They went to Canada to like dodge a bunch of warrants, um, and they made. I remember seeing a video, a homemade video of him and his wife. Um, she's wearing a bikini. He is behind her, um, simulating very rough sex from behind while she is wearing a, a paper mask with Rupert Murdoch's face on it. Perfect. They apparently um, had some similar, almost similar beliefs to the Weavers in that they were convinced that there was a shadowy cabal and nothing I read said Jews, but it's sort of implied with the shadowy cabal of quote, Hollywood star whackers. They were convinced that, they, yeah, that this uh, cabal that had taken out some great celebrities and was coming for Britney Spears and Lindsay Lohan next um, was after them as well. It's amazing that Randy Quaid would think that highly of himself. <laughs> Put himself in elite company. My God, he was in two whole National Lampoon movies. Well, no, wait, four, wait, five. He was in five. No, was he, he in the, right. the newest one? No, but Probably he was. He was in uh, Family Vacation, Christmas Vacation, Vegas Vacation. Was he in European Vacation? I believe so. Let's say he was, and he was also. They made a sequel to Christmas Vacation called Randy's Christmas Island, which I've never yeah. seen. But Deep we might cut. have to watch for this somehow. Deep cut. I hope Dern's in it. So he's been in five. So you know what? He's a national treasure. You yeah. Should watch his back. He should. If you haven't seen the vacation movies, it's a simpler time. When before, I think Hollywood Elite, Randy Quaid. Before Randy Quaid was Randy Weaver, oh, uh, no. we might get that siege one day. Anyway, it's a lot. That was my movie. I loved it. I loved it. Everyone should watch it. Uh, <laughs> it's bad shit. Turns great. Clark Griswold. What's his name? <laughs> Chevy Chase? I imagine at the siege they'll bring out Chevy Chase pretending to be Clark Griswold and they'll just say like, 
Randy, or Eddie, Eddie, you gotta, you gotta come in, Eddie, put the gun down, and then he will. But Clark Griswold wouldn't do that. Like Eddie would do it because Eddie loves Clark, but Clark hates cousin Eddie. He does, right? But... So he's gonna. Clark would fuck up this, like the chance to save the siege, because he would get pissed off at Eddie. Right? He'd be like the anti. I, I want to see this movie so bad now. Yeah, uh-huh. Chevy, do it. Oh, Chevy! I bet Chevy really hated hated him in real life. Yeah, I well, feel he like hates they must have clashed so much. Surely, anyway. 100%. Well, that was two bummers, two real uh, yeah stinkers. I'd say they were good right? movies, but bummers for sure. We got um, the two biggest evils of all: child abusers and the U.S. government. Yeah. So. um... Let me, let me tell you what I learned this week. What did you learn yeah, about Dern? Dern was kind of just a narrator, so she didn't really help me. But this how, movie, how did she do as a narrator? She was good. I mean, you could kind of tell it was her doing a little bit of a sudden thing. Okay. She was fine. She was. She could have just been recording this in her pajamas for all I know. And I, I hope, hope she, she was, yeah. But yeah, um, abuse is really bad, and it's hard to leave. And like, you could watch a movie like this and just be like, why is she staying with him? He's terrible. She should leave. But like... If you're in that kind of situation, it's a lot harder than just, like, to say you would leave if you were there. Like, once you're in it, once you rely on somebody and you love them or you think you love them, and just, like, how an abuser gets into a family like that. It was really upsetting. Abuse is bad, and if you're dealing with it or know somebody that is, you should call a helpline or try to deal with it in the best way for you. Yeah, or, or like, call us. Like, med- yeah. send a, like, we'll talk to you. We're, we're not, not pros. We can help. We, send us a message. We can give you I'll, better. I'll talk to anyone. <laughs> we'll talk to anybody. Um, oh yeah, men are trash. I guess is the better lesson. Yes, men are trash. Men in the fifties were bigger trash. That's true. We've come so far. I guess Nick and I are both men, but yeah, I'd say neither of some us level are of very trash. Trashy. Surely we're trashy in like a like a white trash kind of yeah. way, but like not a not a being gross to women kind of way. Sure, I feel like the bar has gotten slightly, slightly higher on yeah. men being trash that we're less. We're pretty... That, we're like in the top... That's okay. Quarter percentile, I'd in, say. I think in like three or four hundred years, men might be all right. In three or four hundred years, we'll be lizard people again. It won't matter. Yeah. Now, not all men are trash. Obviously, the great Bo greets... Yeah, a great man. Racist Rambo himself. He's a great man. The guy... I don't even know where I was going to go with that. The guy who played the Mohawk dude in um, Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, he played the blue, like, villain who was friends with Chris Pratt. For the audience, I'm giving a blank stare. No, you're fine. He he played the, like, the brother of the mom in my movie. Okay. And he was just a nice dude. And, like, he's a cool... Oh, he's he's a good one. He's, like, a nice-looking guy. Like, he looks like if he were playing a nice guy, he is a nice guy. He was a nice guy. He's a good guy. I would have assumed that guy's name was Glenn. That was a big old roundabout, and we got there. I don't don't remember his name. Did he have, like, an asshole guy name? Mm. Chaz? No, his name was not Chaz. He's from Carolina. In I don't 50s. know where that name. I don't know. Oh, you etymology. Know that's a traditional Southern name, Chaz. Uh, well, do you have any lessons? What I learned, um, it was, I realized quickly into this movie that one thing Lori Dern is so good at, and it made me realize just how many times I've seen her do this, is play a woman with strong convictions. That she does that better than anyone. And 
enlightened, very different type of character, very strong convictions. Um, Big Little Lies, same thing. Uh, I, I think Dern really, when she sticks to her guns, as it were, right, she, she, that's her wheelhouse, is being not just like a strong woman or an independent woman, but a woman who has, is almost zealous in her beliefs and is, is uncompromising and unabashed. And I think there are times when that makes for a really good character. Um, and other times when I think it makes for a pretty shitty person who also maybe didn't deserve to get killed by the government. Yeah. Um, thanks, mean, Laura Dern. I'm sure it's not easy to play somebody like that. Because, like, Laura Dern is outspoken enough that she is, like, a good person. She believes in good causes. She's pro-LGBT stuff. She's, you know, she's, like, a general, like, neutral, good Hollywood person. Yeah. So, like, doing that must have been at least a little bit challenging. Yeah, like, I'd, I'd be so curious us, to know. Yeah, if one of us were to have to do that. Yeah, well, be a famous I'd, I'd love to ask her, and that's why, big yeah. announcement next week. Oh, my God, we've got, we got her. Dern. We got Dern. We got the Dern. So tune in uh, next wow. week. Uh, a little, little bit of housework before we close this out. We have our picks for next week. I, uh, I use the old randomizer. I swear to God, if it's Inland Empire. Nope. You are be doing. You are be doing next week. You are be doing a big dern. Your big dern is called Fat Man and Little Boy. I didn't do my general research. It's so about I don't know when it's from or a, what it's about. Atomic bombs. It might be. It or might, it be, might about be about a story a... that parallels the nuclear crisis. That's true. When are we getting a Jurassic Park? That's gonna. Those are on your list, right? Yeah, those are on my list. Those JP. Ne- next month, next month is March. Near the end of the month, we are going to do our first special, which means we're just going to watch one movie and just talk about that. Ooh. And I haven't, we haven't talked about it yet, but it could be a Jurassic Park. It could be a marriage story, perhaps. Oh, I don't want to see it again soon. Uh, Divorce well, movies are hard to watch. We'll, we'll talk about it off air. But, uh, and I will be doing a little turn called A Season for Miracles, which was a TV movie, and I'm sure it's going to be A Season great. for Miracles? That can't be good. It's not good. I don't think... Was it a Hallmark film? I don't know. I'm oh, sure it was. That cannot be good. So yeah, that's going to be next week. Yes. And for this week, we've made some strides. We that's have. For us. I think I think this might be our longest. New record. New We're going to double this next week. <laughs> Eight hours of dirt, baby. See you next time. See ya.